ask Edward. There's a thumb drive there with just a couple, couple pictures on it. There's only one slide. I don't like the slide. I didn't put, like putting the pictures on the slide. Um, but that's kind of the, the direction that we're heading this morning. So please open your Bibles to the book of James. And uh, hopefully you made, made yourself available to those notes that uh, are out front. I don't know whether there's any nice way of approaching the topic of dead faith um, or disobedience. It, uh, it really you know, kind of makes me uncomfortable, kind of takes me back to a time in my life where um, I was living in disobedience, um, probably not even, not even necessarily extreme disobedience, but we understand that when there's sin in our lives that we're not dealing with, that fellowship's broken and God desires to use us. Um, but I'd say the outcome there generally is just plain disobedience. And uh, that never just affects me. If we're talking family unit, guess what? Monkey see, monkey do. That follows suit. Um, it doesn't just involve me, it involves my church. And uh, I'll say there's nothing more contagious than disobedience when it comes to the body of Christ. Uh, so I'm going to just pray. I'm going to ask for patience and grace as we work through this topic. Um, I think every church has influxes and, and pulses as it comes through its, its life, but there's also seasons. So um, we'll just read through this and uh, it'll be good. Dearly Father, Lord, as we're reading through your word, Lord, I pray that we would quiet our hearts just to see what James is addressing here, what you are addressing through James, your servant. Lord, and I'm going to say there, I, I don't care for dead faith, but Lord, we know that it really isn't in your good books. Lord, and when we think of how many different letters in the New Testament are written to believers that need to wake up, Lord, that need to, to deal with sin, that need to come back, that need to, to be found living faithful, that need to be found serving. And Lord, that's the majority of the New Testament, so we know it's a, a very real thing. So I just pray as we work through these texts that we would see that these principles are yours and that we're simply understanding what you are saying here. I just pray these things in your name. Amen. So you want to click that next slide, Edward, the pictures I didn't like putting on there. Um, what do we see there? I see beautiful old churches with trees pretty much growing out of them, right? And uh, there's a reason, reason why that, that came up two or three times there this week in different conversations and that. And, I mean, that is the ultimate outcome of dead faith, is it not? I mean, it never just affects me, right? Disobedience, sin in my life, not serving. It never just affects me. It affects my family. And then all of a sudden, they're not found in the church growing and spiritually connected. And eventually, guess what? Those doors close, right? And, and I don't want to get ahead of myself because uh, I think I'm not good at illustrations, but uh, I think the, the point was, was made. So let's just begin... I want to read 21 down to 27 and we'll step into the point for this morning 
is when mammon has your heart, you have to deal with it or be dealt with. Right? If something is controlling your heart this morning, you have to, to deal with it now, or, or God's going to deal with it one way or another. The principle of dead faith, when you know and choose not to do, when you know in your head what you're supposed to do, when you know God's commandments and you choose not to do, that is dead faith and that equals a dead church. So beginning in verse 21, it says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, that's right in the believers, leaders in the churches, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, or that suche savior your life. But be doers of the word. What word? God's word. Right? Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And again, on my heart there, it never just affects you. Yes, you're deceived. You deceive yourself, but it never just affects you. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty... Right, my, my understanding is that's the doctrines of Christ. Those are your red letters. That's the, the, the words that Jesus gave us for faith and practice. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And that isn't really about us, is it? Because we're here to serve Christ. We're here to be spirit-led in the things of him. Yes, yes, there'll be some blessings as we follow him in obedience there. I'm sure we'll find ourselves financially, you know, somewhat stable maybe, and, 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 and nice family and all that, but, but ultimately it's about him. Right? To be blessed in what we're doing for him. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, this one's religion is useless. I'm going to enjoy their just kind of working through this with you because, I mean, we instantly think of people that can't control what they say and often divisive, right? And oftentimes they're, they're just, just unleashed. But in, in context here, I mean, it's talking about the doing. It's talking about the serving. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, meeting their needs, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So just taking a wind-up here, I just, and, and I am one for context, trying to imagine what it must have been like to be the churches and the leaders back in the day receiving a, a corporate letter of communication. Right? I mean, you think there, you're, you're, you're always, I think back then you would have been looking for instruction from Jerusalem looking for instruction from the leaders. Uh, I don't even know what it's like really to wait on a letter today. I don't remember that. I got, I got 50 letters before I even, you know, had my second cup of coffee this morning. I got letters from people I, didn't even, I don't even know and companies and all trying to either sell things or sign me up for things just on my phone. Right? The idea of anticipation for a letter, I, I don't quite understand that. But back in the day, I mean, we understand and 
we have older folks before all that. You, the, the idea of, okay, a letter or, or something from Jerusalem definitely adds to this. This letter had come from the head church in Jerusalem, right? From James. James had known Christ. Right? James was the brother of Christ. James had originally rejected Christ. If anybody knew that step of, 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 of becoming a believer and stepping into that, that intimate relationship with God, it was James. And that would have this written all over this letter. They knew who James is. I asked the question just in context. What was the, the spiritual temperature of the churches receiving this letter? Right? If, if James is already, in verses 19 to 21... If James is already addressing sin, if James is already addressing people that, that are, are being pulled away by the world, by that, that mammon, the, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the, the, the desire for other things, that tells us that the temperature, the spiritual temperature of this church is low, right? Is low with dead faith already plaguing some churches. And that should be a warning for us how quickly that happens. Because here we are, it's, it's, it's around AD 44. These churches are, are only, they're not even 15 years old yet. And already these things are plaguing the body of Christ. That's alarming. That's, that, that should, if anything, have us have a saying and looking around and, and, and needing to do that ourselves. Just like, how are we protecting ourselves? Eighty forty four. there's already an air of casual, complacent attitude. Dead faith indicates dead churches. And we understand, and I keep coming back just because of that picture in Revelation 3, verse 20, where Christ is knocking at the door of his church, wanting to come in and dine with them. Right? Christ is already at the door, and they're not even 15 years old, desiring to move in their midst. But he can't. Desiring to, to, to provide what this church needs. But he can't. Because there's sin. There, there's this, this filthiness and overflow of wickedness in their midst. He's desiring to use this church. But he can't. Maybe I have too much time through the week. No, I don't. But you, you think about this. And, and I think it's part of my personality. How young the disciples were when Jesus called them. You remember us going, going over that? Teenagers, right? You know, late, late teens, maybe early 20s when Jesus is crucified. Right? I mean, they went through a lot. But then you add, you add 13, 14 years to that. Here they are, they'd be 35. Right? 35. Their children marry, marry early. All of a sudden we start understanding that, that these, these people, these leaders that, that James is writing to that have allowed themselves the filthiness and overflow of wickedness, right? They'd be now 35. We can assume that the ones that Jesus appeared to, um, the 35-year-olds would have teenagers eating at their tables right back then. So now you have dads leading moms in the, in the family unit. You have that connected with the church. And they've allowed themselves this filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And we know what that is doing to the churches as you work down through that. 
So just beginning in verse 19, and I don't want to get us too down in the dumps here. But audience for application. James is writing to those who knew and did not do. These are people that are without excuse. These are, these are people who had listened to the messages of Christ. These are the ones, and I think of how many conversations that I have even over scriptures. Oh, oh, I know that one. Well, then why aren't we doing? Why is there not an action to this if you know the commands? These ones knew they'd listened to the message of Christ. They had believed. They had walked with Christ. They'd seen Christ himself. We keep coming back to that Hebrews 6.4. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Right? That is what, what each of these individuals that James is writing to, they had experienced this firsthand. And yet they're found in this filthiness and wickedness. kind of hurts a little bit. You ask yourself the question, how could they? And yet, we just sang a song about the, I can hear my mocking voice among the scoffers. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. These are the ones that knew but we're not doing. James is writing earnestly this letter of rebuke to, to pull them out of where, where they are. Just to speak to that save your souls uh, one more time, it doesn't just affect you. If you're living in sin, right? It's not just your life. It's not just your, 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 not just your fellowship before God. It affects the people around you. And as he's writing to these leaders of the churches, it is an earnest message. Guys, you need to begin doing what you know you're supposed to do because you're leading your churches in this direction. Repentance. An act of response to the illumination of the word by the unsaved and saved. These men had to had to heed, there had to be an action to this. We step into verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. Spent some time thinking this week. I wasn't sure how to put it. But you had the men that knew and weren't doing. You had the, these, these first generation believers that, that knew the commandments of God and weren't doing. And you had new believers following them. You had, I used the word ignorance, right? You had ones that didn't know any better, just following into suit, following into place, following their example. That was something there that just really, really bothered me, bothered me this week. You had those that, that knew and weren't doing, and then you had those that did not know, but relied, trusted, and followed these older believers in this dead faith. 
Right? They just followed suit. They just, they just stepped right in line with them. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. So this, this letter of rebuke is, is primarily to these leaders in the churches. When we look at verse 22, and I'm just going to jump down past that first John chapter 1. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. These are people that heard the message, responded, participated, were without excuse. But at some point, they had deceived themselves. Right, where's, where's the deception lie here? You think they were deceived in what they believed? I mean, they heard the words of Jesus right out of his mouth. Right? They, they, they watched his miracles. The, if, if these ones are, are the ones sent out, perhaps belonging to the 500 that Jesus appeared to, or the 120, I mean, they, they, they knew who Jesus is. I'm going to say that they believed. But the deception here rests in their obedience. Right? You can believe all you want and you can know and you can, you, can, you can know what's in here even. But if the Spirit isn't leading you, number one, that means that there's sin in your life, there's a broken fellowship, and number two, you're living in disobedience. And that's what it comes down to. This has nothing to do with, with believing in Jesus. This is about obedience and being in fellowship with Him. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. If faith equals believing in the illuminated word with a resolve to trust and obey, what does dead faith equal? And again, that's, that's knowing. That's being able to give answers. I'm going to even say there that that's, that's including, yes, I used to, used to do this. Right, I, I used to participate in this. I used to teach this. But all of a sudden I make that decision to no longer. Right, and that is a, a deceiving yourself. For my benefit, I just put in brackets, is that the pastor's fault in a church? For an individual to, to just decide to, to not serve, to, to, to be disobedient? No, it's not the pastor's fault. I mean, maybe he does add to that maybe a little bit somewhere along the lines. But the doing comes from the people, right? It comes from obeying what Christ has called us to. So, but be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. And again, that's plural. We could go on a, on a long line. It never just affects you. Right? It affects the brothers and sisters around you. It affects your families. It, it affects the church. It affects your community. And from there, we move into verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. Now, I don't like doing that in the morning. All I see is hair. Okay, everybody is awake. But as, as James is writing to these first-generation believers, ones that interacted with Christ, I mean, they heard his messages, they responded um, and yet they're in a place where they've, they've been drawn into the world and they're no longer doing, they're no longer obedient. Uh, they're leading their churches to this place of, of dead faith. I wrote it this way. Can you imagine attending a church where the first and older generations who knew Christ personally, 
right, who, who, knew, who had like a 3D faith. I mean, when they, when they read a letter or thought about Jesus' teaching, they could see his lips move. <laughs> you know, no mass. Right? Like it, was a, it, was a, it was a 3D faith. It meant the world to them. You can imagine if somebody was to try and twist Jesus' words. No, I heard him say it this way. Right? No, that stops here. They knew that. Can you imagine a first generation, the older generation in the church that had powerfully had that relationship? I think of special meetings. Right? There was a time and day where, where special meetings and tent meetings and everything were going on, right? And it was a powerful time. Right? When we think of passionately serving in the day, can you imagine a first generation deceiving themselves into giving them permission to do nothing? And that's what's going on here. Right? Somewhere along the lines, there was permission given to do nothing. And this is only 14 years into this local church thing. I have done my time. Now again, I'm trying to be very courteous. I understand seasons and, and all that. But that generally is when you think about a, a life of service in the church. And I'll, I'll speak to maybe middle age groups here. Your kids go into nursery. Your name goes on the list. Awana, right? Maybe the, the middle. And then by the time 14 years come up and they're, they're, they're 13, 14 year old monsters, you give them to the youth pastor. Does that not make sense? That, that's about the life of serving in the church. And after that, you settle into to wherever you sit in the church and, and we're off we go. Logistically, 14 years. All right, not just a young man speaking. God blesses us with children. I'm going to be an old dad. But you see what I'm getting at here. 14 years in this brand new church, and already these, these guys are caught up in the world. I've done my time, and, and they're leading other people to that place. These churches are dying, and I think that's a, a heartbeat um, from James that we don't grasp very often. Verse 24, after he's done looking in the mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. This first generation who spent time with Jesus could look in the mirror and go, oh, yes, I remember those days. I can remember those teachings. I remember those miracles. I mean, I ate of the, the bread with the loaves and fishes. I mean, I saw him raise Lazarus. I was in the temple. They could see that, and they, they, they experienced that themselves. But to be able to give themselves permission to turn from that mirror and give themselves permission to no longer serve, no longer obey, no longer do, they're able to look into a mirror fully understanding what is commanded and choose to walk away, sit back, take a break, forgetting what kind of man he was. And the result of that is, is we're back to 21. Right? They lose their souls. Right? We're back to they lose, they lose their life. They lose that fellowship. They lose not just theirs, but all of a sudden you see the, the spiritual life of the church sucked out. See the spiritual life of their families sucked out. Why? Not to go on another, but because they're not connected to the vine. They're not found serving. They're not found engaged in these things. Spiritually dead faith equals spiritually dead church. And then I think of what the world watches. 
And I think of some of our ministries with the, the, the children's ministry and the, the youth ministry, and we're reaching out. What, what are the parents saying about how, how spiritually alive the church is? How connected it is? How we're weathering the storms that are coming? What does the world say? Are we a live church? Are we found doing? Are we found obedient? But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Whose work? God's work. Spirit's led work. Christ's work. And I mean, it, it, it again, sometimes you get into these arguments, well, my priority is the home. And I, put my, I, I, I put my family first. Okay, I get it. But if Christ is the head of your home and the Spirit's leading your family, guess where you'll be? Right? You'll be actively engaged in your church. You'll be actively engaged in the, the ministry that God has for your family because that's, that's the model we have. Again, we're very careful that you're not in here every time the doors are open, but that is the model that we have. Blessed, pardon me, this one will be blessed in what he does. It's only way. Obedience, following God's commands, being spirit-led. And it's never just about me. You know, your, your marriage, your family, your relationship in your church found obedience. I mean, that, that is, I'm going to say that is the only place in that obedience to find his blessings in that. And that could describe there why we have so many problems and so many distraught situations in and around our, our church family. Let's step into verse 26. If anyone among you, and as James is writing to these leaders, writing to the, the leaders leading these churches, and these leaders are in sin, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives, and I've never taken the time to really slow down, and I guess you call it word diagramming with this, because you really need to grasp this. Does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. Who's doing the deceiving here? Himself. Right? These leaders are. It's almost like the temptation that, that earlier in the chapter where God says, no, this isn't God tempting you. This is you tempting yourself, deceiving yourself. Right? If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. We're talking about serving here, are we not? We're talking about engaging. We're talking and we understand the bigger context is, is money and not, being, and not having our hearts controlled, giving Christ our everything. So if we're talking about the, the leaders here, if anyone among you in the serving, he is religious, he does not bridle his tongue. I kind of had to approach this. And I thought to myself there, this is about those that talk about serving, that talk about giving, that talk about engaging here. Right? They're talking about it. They're deceiving themselves. What does that mean? They're making excuses for not serving for not being found in obedience. They're talking around it. They're giving their own reasons. And that's the deception that we see. They're deceiving his own heart. When it comes to serving and making excuses and talking around it, they're deceiving themselves. 
For those who know, in this chapter, there are three different, different deceptions here. And this one in particular, I, I got a number there. This one in particular, the verb is active, which means it's on the subject, which means it's being acted out by themselves toward themselves. They do it. You see the, the verse there in the Greek, just bear with me, and it just kind of helps us see this. If anyone seems religious to be, not bridling the tongue of himself, we're talking about service, but deceiving the heart of himself, do we see that? Of this one worthless is the religion. Who's the onus on? Who's the ownership on this on? Themselves. They're doing it to themselves. They're talking around. They're, they're making these excuses here. And I would say that that would even include the excuse of, I used to serve. I used to do this. I used to be part of this. And the summary of that would be the deception is not towards others, but it's them convincing and excusing themselves. And I didn't want to put a, a percentage of how many believers today are found not serving, not engaging, not in obedience, not being spirit-led. I didn't want to put a percentage on that. But I think as we look around at churches, even pre-COVID era, I think that percentage would be pretty high of people that are not found walking in obedience, serving in their local churches. Their family units crumbling because they're not found engaging in the spiritual life and the commandments that Christ has given. What did Jesus say about the Pharisees? Just turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. It's there on your sheet if you, if you don't want to, but the print's bigger in my Bible, so... Matthew chapter 23, Jesus deals directly with this, this not serving, this, this idea of, of talking about it, or even, there, you know, back in my day when I, because I imagine the Pharisees had to start at the bottom of the pole just like a carpenter would, right, and work their way up to, to their, their position. But Jesus is addressing these, these men that, that were like, you know what, here I am, uh, I, I'm spiritual, come look at me, and yet... They're not found there doing. They're not found serving. Matthew 23, verse 1 says, And Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, judgment seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. These men would read from their Bibles. Teach from their Bibles. Instruct from the, the, the Old Testament Scriptures. And yet there was no service. There was no obedience. There was no action to their faith. And that's where that dead faith equation keeps coming up. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Where do you think their heart is before God if they're not found serving? Disobedience. Right? Where do you think they're... they're hey, yeah, we won't go too far with that. Jesus goes on even if you come down to verse 13. This is what Jesus says about these men. 
who, who have no notion to serve and engage and, and follow the Lord for his kingdom. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus is grieved over these men. Woe, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And just trying to grasp that seriousness that goes on here. Jesus directly deals with the dead faith himself, and this will be the, the last passage. Just turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. tried to put myself in James's shoes as he's writing this, knowing that churches are failing, knowing that, and, and those pictures, if they had still been up, knowing that, that you know, the, the, the body of Christ is being led away, it's being, I'm going to say polluted, but it, it's being penetrated by the world. It's being found, being led away. I could almost sense there is heartbreak, but... Uh, That's a reality in a lot of different areas. You guys would, would know Richard Woolen from Camp Shiktahawk. He, he's been pastoring a senior pastor up at Centerville Baptist Church here for 14 months. And uh, just talking through some of those things. And it was interesting because he's from England, right? And it was interesting just talking about missing generations in the church. And how, he, he's a new pastor, I'm a new pastor, you know, how, how long do churches, how long can churches survive without two generations? You know, how long can churches survive where people aren't found obedient, people aren't found um, placing Christ first, people aren't found giving, like how long do churches last? And Richard's response, and, and it, I got it in, in my journal there, and I mean, he, he's from England, he said, because that's nothing new. You go to England and after that's where all the big revivals and everything like that were. He goes, you go right by, you drive down any of those roads and you have, you know, beautiful churches. They're not empty. They're homes now. They're homes. They're stores. They're moss. Right? He goes, I don't understand it, but the, the England there is just like that. Right? And then, then we just coming back to how, how long do churches last when there's just there's two generations missing? Right? And that's kind of where that, that exhortation of this isn't an age thing. Right? We we each we each have to be being moved as the spirit, being engaged and be found in, in that obedience. Revelation chapter three, and I just thought it would be fitting that, that Jesus' words, and I mean it's it's nothing new. But again, the, the, the challenge here is each of us doing our part now. Jesus says, and the angel of the church of Sardis write these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works and that you have a name, probably Baptist, and that you have a name that you are alive. But you are dead. 
It's that same Greek word necros. I mean, it's, it, it's the idea of, of, of a corpse. There's, there's, there, there's, there's a disobedience. There's a disconnect taking place here. You're alive. You have a name, you, but you are dead. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Is Jesus writing to believers here? Right? These are churches. And again, we're back to the warning. We're back to the examining even. Like, where, where are we? Are we in a place to cast a vision as a church family? Like, what, what are our goals? Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God or complete before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received, excuse me, and heard, hold fast and repent. It's a call just to turn, to stop. I mean, that, that repent starts today. I mean, if you, if you know, just as that first generation did there that James is writing to, if you know, then why aren't you doing? Turn. Start. <laughs> Remember, therefore, how you received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, this is the warning, and I don't think Jesus jokes with this. If you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. He's writing to churches. He's writing to Christian homes. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall not, pardon me, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, for I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. don't want to get into this too much, but there's going to be an account for what we do in this life as Christians. As a church, we'll have to give account. As pastor, I'll have to give an account for how we were found serving Christ the King. Jesus' words, verse 6, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do we see the seriousness of that? I think so. Let's just close with the book of James. just want to finish that last verse. James 1, 27. Just understanding that the deception of ourselves that helped me um, with verse 26. Verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We just read Jesus calling churches to wake up, to turn, to start over, he's coming back. And here James is calling for the same thing. James is calling on the churches who are bound by mammon. Their hearts have been found there caught up with the, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. He's calling on them to repent, to turn, and to obey. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble, that speaks to their needs, and that's what an alive faith looks like. When we're not caught up in the things of the world, when we're, our careers and our, our finances and everything there has Christ attached to it, guess what? 
When the Spirit says give, guess what? <laughs> yes, Lord. Right? Or, or, or the Spirit says, hey, you know what? You need to commit. Do you ever guys remember the missions commit um, where they had the thermometers and you'd commit to the program and yes, we're going to give this much every year and, and you pray about it and you watch churches come alive with that? That's because Christ is attached to everything. But you have to be intentional with that. Right? And the provision. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world, and I would say that that's the clutches of the world. So just closing that, I would say they're especially, especially the ones who know. And this is talking to the believers. Those that are, have been in church, those that have experienced Christ, those that have been groomed and discipled, especially the ones who know, because they have no excuse. So this morning, I mean, when you, when you sit with your spouse or you sit there in the quiet this morning, is your heart the Lord's? I'm not talking positionally. I'm looking around. I hope everybody has placed their faith in Christ. But is, is, is your heart controlled by the Holy Spirit? Is your finances? Is your home life? Is your career? <laughs> you know, is, does your heart and your life belong to the Lord and is He using it? Because if he isn't, well, we just went through that. I mean, the, the equation is it's dead faith. And it never just affects you. Pretty serious topic. Chapter 2 is about finances. It's going to be an interesting one because I don't think many churches have ever been in a problem with finances and treating people with giving. But you know what? There's coming a day, I'm going to say probably over the next five years, where churches aren't going to be able to meet their bills. And all of a sudden, they are going to have to go through these principles. All right, Lord, how do we treat people with money? Or is there going to be partiality? Is there going to be there? And that's just a bit of a bait. They're, they're, this is a serious topic that James is addressing here. And then again, with those pictures of those churches with closed doors, uh, it would break my heart to see the doors of this church closed. And I'm not a prophet. But there are going to be doors to churches closing. And these truths are going to all of a sudden come alive. And if you look around, there's not a whole lot of people in this room under the age of 50. So that means we have to do some thinking about these things. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do ask that you just take the book of James and you, you plant it in our hearts. Lord, there's, there's been many, many different sermons, many different lessons from the book of James. But Lord, we ask you to just speak through it today. We ask you to speak through it there in the days ahead, Lord. This idea of dead faith equaling dead churches scares me. But Lord, it's, it's, it's what my age group is stepping into. Lord, it's what, it's what my, my seniors and, and the ones that faithfully engage and faithfully attend and support, it's what they're watching. And Lord, I know that's heartbreaking. I listen. And I would pray that each of us would be found doing our part. Not in works, um, not in the flesh, but Lord, doing our part in obeying you. 
Lord, and that that spirit-led faith and obedience would become contagious. I pray for an awakening, not, not just here in our, our community and church. I pray for an awakening over this province or this country. Lord, I pray for an awakening for your people just to realize where we're at. And that we would unite. There would be a surrender. And then we would see the gospel go forth like never before, beginning in the house of the Lord. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.